Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium. With your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our effort is to get our show's information and message out to as many people as possible. So please share and tag your friends who you think would really enjoy this information. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and syndicated on missionsradio.org and liveleadplay.com. You can also go to Parent Pump Radio to leave any of your questions, comments, and suggestions for a future show. And please subscribe to our RSS feed so you'll be automatically notified of new show. So this show, my leadership company, and my family leadership book came about through my journey of what didn't work in my life. I had to actually go back to my childhood and even study the generations of family before me, their beliefs, values, and habits. Then I had to shift into looking at what did work. So what has worked for others and trying things on to see if it worked for me and my family. That's when the magic really started manifesting because I realized that going through challenging relationships with my parents family, significant others, and friends were really just an opportunity to uh, learn, to grow. It wasn't a curse. So when you are purchasing my book, listening to the show, or doing my online leadership program, you're essentially going on a journey into my life and what I'm passionate about and why I do what I do. One of the things that I teach is dynamic communication, but it's really more than just communication because Too many people believe that communication is about talking or talking at someone, but in reality, it's about listening on a really deep, intuitive level. When you dive down deep, it's really about connecting with the other person in a way that they feel heard, valued, and validated. So communication is really an art and not a science because everyone is different. And in my book, I have a chapter dedicated to communication and how you can harness its power effectively with your family. So what I'm talking about today is about the art of conversation and connecting. And our guest is going to share with us his insight on discovering this lost art of conversation. He has helped sales and marketing leaders who are juggling it all slay the internal feelings of worry and doubt so they can accomplish a complete success. Before starting his executive coaching firm, Peloton Coaching and Consulting, he spent over two decades in the pharmaceutical and bio industry in roles that range from sales to marketing to executive leadership. And today we're also going to find out why July 11th, 2001 became his last bad day. He is an active volunteer and corporate sponsor for the Healthcare Business Women's Association and an advocate for gender parity. He lives in New Jersey with his wife, two daughters, three dogs, and Rosie the cat. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Michael O'Brien. Hi, Michael. Hey, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I've been pumped to Yay. play off the title, <laughs> to be with you, to have a beautiful conversation. So I'm... I'm I'm totally psyched. Absolutely. That's why I get, put that title in there. We got to get pumped again and pumped up, pumped to have yeah. a beautiful conversation. Absolutely. 
Right. So tell us about this July 11th, 2001 day, because that was the last bad day that you had. Absolutely. So thanks. Thanks for that question. So yeah, July 11th, 2001, my last bad day. I'll give you a little bit of um, what was happening on July 10th, 2001, the day before my last bad day. So on that day, I was in my early 30s. We had two daughters. My two daughters were three and a half years old and seven months old, Ellen Grady. My wife and I had been married seven years at the time. We'll be 24 in the month of May. And I was a, I was a great human doer, right? So I would do the to-do list. I sort of was like living life on a hamster wheel, just sort of like doing, 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 sort of getting caught up in the busy. And this was before social media had been invented, right? This was years before Facebook and LinkedIn and all that jazz. I was the marketing director for my company's main drug, the reason why we came to the United States from Tokyo. So the job was really awesome, but it had a lot of pressure. And I was also a guy guilty of a lot of comparison. So instead of looking at myself, I would look at what everyone else had. So the whole game of keeping up with the Joneses, I was an expert at that, right? And so I really felt like, if I got that new car, I would be happy. Or once I got that promotion, I would be happy. So that hamster wheel was like chasing happiness. And when we start to compare, as you know, like we also start to judge and we, we tend to judge ourselves pretty powerfully. And I, I had my own, my own stuff I wasn't really dealing with. And we just happened to be out in New Mexico. So it was my first time out in New Mexico. We had one of those sales and marketing summit meetings. We would arrive on Monday. We would depart on Friday. And I also had a to-do list, a bucket list, of riding my bike in every state in the beautiful country of America. And New Mexico had not been crossed off yet. So I was like, all right, let's bring my bike out. I can get some miles in. I was getting back into bike racing after the births of our two daughters. And I thought, why not go out, ride in New Mexico, get some outside air, you know, avoid the hotel gym. And on the fourth lap, I, I've, I've created this loop that went out the back of the hotel and up the main entrance. It was about two miles long. And on the fourth lap that morning of July 11, 2001, I came around a bend in an SUV, a Ford Explorer, white, was going 40 miles an hour and completely in my lane. And he hit me head on. Wow. And I remember the sound of me hitting his grill the sound of me hitting his windshield because it got thrown up over the truck into his windshield, the screech of his brakes. And then the thud I made as I came back down to the asphalt. Of course, that knocked me unconscious until the EMTs arrived. And then it was chaos, right? I woke, started regaining consciousness in the worst pain ever in my life. Now, one thing I do remember is I asked the EMTs, about my, the health of my bike, which is something that only another psychos can appreciate. I was like, how's my bike? And it was sort of my attempt to sort of cut the tension with some humor. Uh-huh. But I, what I also remember is like willing myself not to fall asleep because I thought if I fell asleep, I may never wake up again. And as I waited for the helicopter to take me to the trauma center, I told myself if I lived, life was going to be different. I would stop chasing happiness um, and just sort of be, and sort of move from this... Um, sort of, you know, do have be mentality, like do work really hard, have material stuff, then be happy. I wanted to end that. And what I, what I felt like the energy, cause I know we're both eye peckers. I felt the energy 
of the significance of my accident and the injuries. I just didn't know the extent of them. It turns out that the life and death part of my accident was that the left femur shattered. And when the left femur shattered, it lacerated the femoral artery. So in essence, I was bleeding out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Yeah. And how long was the recovery? Well, you know, one can, one can argue I'm still recovering. I'm still on a journey, right? So <laughs> towards mastery. True. Um, so they flew me, they flew me to Albuquerque at the University of New Mexico at Albert, Albuquerque's trauma center. First surgery was like 12 hours. I needed about 34 units of blood product. The next four days I was in the ICU. And when I came out of the ICU, they started telling me about the extent of my injuries and, and just the accident. The guy had a revoke license. So in a lot of ways, he should not have been driving. They told me all about all the all the dependency I would need, the limitations of future surgeries and like sort of just all the pain and suffering I should expect. And I know they were trying to like set my expectations, but what what it did is that sort of in the spirit of we go where our eyes go, I just started seeing like sort of victim loop type of um, a future. So I started developing a very powerful I am a victim story and I went dark and negative and angry and revengeful. I was like, this guy hurt me. I will then therefore hurt him. Uh, sort of this catabolic energy that wasn't fueling me. Now, when people would visit me in the hospital, I tried to put on the cheery face, but I was not doing a good job inside. Inside, when the hospital got dark, I got, I got really lonely, angry, frustrated, scared, you named it. So that was, that was a start. And then that state of mind lasted until I ultimately made one big shift in how I wanted to look at the world. Wow. Was there a significant event that made that shift for you? Well, it was one day, but I, I like to think it was like a little puzzle pieces over time. So they flew me back to New Jersey where I'm based. And I went to Kessler's Institute for Rehabilitation. And of people of certain age will remember Superman as Christopher Reeves. And that's where they took Christopher when he had his equestrian accident. And when I got there, my first three roommates were all quadriplegic. And, and so that was a big wake-up call. But even then, like even with that powerful wake-up call, I still saw myself as a victim. You know, not, not as badly hurt as they were, but still I yeah. thought life is unfair. This stinks, right? And some other choice words. And then I started realizing over time, I had a rehab session. I looked around the room and saw that some people were getting better and some people weren't. And I realized that mindset drove a lot of it. The conversation that they were having with themselves, they weren't focused on what they couldn't do or didn't have anymore. They, they focused on what they could do and still had. And I knew in that moment that I had to change my internal story, the internal conversation with myself. Yep. So I could be the best version of who I wanted to be, like the best husband, father, just person. Like I let go of all the comparison and all the judgment. I was like, you know what? I just want to be the best me. And that was the start of sort of really shifting my mindset and, and shifting the conversation I was having with myself, but also the conversations I was having with others. Yeah, I agree with you that it starts with that mindset. All the tools, I think we talked about this when you guys interviewed me on your show, is the tools are all there, but you can't use a tool if your mind isn't set on using it. Absolutely. And my mind up until that point was not set. So then 
the next day, I decided to start a new morning ritual and really set my intentions for the day and show up in the most powerful way I could. Now, you know, some days some days were better than others, but I, I made a commitment that I was going to work hard every day to make tomorrow better. And so I really got into this whole mantra that I use today is in terms of creating better tomorrows. Like I was going to work really hard today. I was going to be grateful for what I had today. And I was going to try to make t- tomorrow just a little bit better. So I just did that drip by drip, conversation by conversation. And then eventually I got back on my bike. I got out of the hospital and I took that mindset back into my career. Awesome. So we talked about conversation that you had in your mind. It starts there, right? That conversation. And then from there, it goes to conversation with others. So let's talk about this, the art of conversation. So you speak about how important it is. Tell us more about why you feel our conversational intelligence is important to develop. This is A1 critical, right? Because I, I believe, and I know you get really passionate about you know, becoming a better parent and a better leader. And this is the stuff that really gets my blood going in a really good way and a passionate way. Because I think conversation drives it all. Conversations yeah. drive our relationships. Our relationships drive our society, our cultures at work, our tribes, if we want to call them tribes. And we're not in today's society having a really great conversation. We tend to be running to our tribal corners and trying to outshout each other. We're not listening to connect. We're really listening to reply. And all that's doing is fueling our addiction to being right. Mm-hmm. So we feel like, well, if I'm, if I'm the last person that talks and I, I'm the one that talks the loudest, I'm going to win the argument. I'm going to win, win whatever. And that's not helping us get stuff done that can build a great country or great people within this great country. And it happens a lot in parenting. I think we tend to feel that we're superior. We know more. We're older. And they need to listen to us. And do you find that parents really end up talking at the kids and then they tune out anyways? Yeah. So I think something remarkable happens right around adolescence or puberty, right? So when when kids are little, there is a definite, a different status play. Like the parents have hopefully the wisdom of being on the planet for as long as we are. And the kids are little, you know, when they're three, four, and five, the conversation may be a little bit different, right? There might be more telling, but hopefully we are listening to what our kids have to say, right? We actually, we're, we're curious about what's going on in that noggin of our kids, right? But then something happens when they get to be like tweeners, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, and they, they're fighting for their independence, right? It's part of evolution. And this is where parents have to have better conversational agility. So instead of telling, we want to ask questions of curiosity. These are questions for which we don't know the answer. And because I think conversation is all about discovery, right? It's not something we do to someone. We do it with someone. And so the more we go forward with our children as they age, we have to become even more curious and see if they have the answer within them, right? By asking some really powerful questions. But as parents, you know, we like to think that we have the right answer and our natural instinct is to tell people what to do. And since many parents are also leaders at work, we tend to bring that same practice into the work environment and we tell our people what to do as opposed to trying to co-create with our employees or co-create with our children. Yeah, I think it's this mentality of you think you have to manage people and that's not what a leader do. A leader leads, they don't manage 
Absolutely. You know, they, they allow some room, right? They allow some room for the trust to build. Yeah. So why do you think we're having such a conversational crisis today? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the pace of life. You know, as I mentioned on July 10th, 2001, I was guilty of comparison. And again, that was before social media. Yeah. Not to put all the blame on social media, but it is a curated existence, right? So there's, it's easy to sort of step into that comparison of what I'm missing out on, the life that other people are living and versus, you know, what I'm living. And I think there's a, I think there's a real epidemic around loneliness. And so since we are hardwired for safety and belonging, if we feel lonely, we don't feel like we belong. If we feel like our identity is at risk, we don't feel safe. So I think social media is part of it. I think the busyness and the, the, the pace of change, right? We've, we've always changed, but the pace of change today in 2018 is a lot different than, say, 1998 or 1997 or whatever. Um, so I think those are contributing factors that we just feel like we have to sort of hunker down and own what we want to own. And we don't necessarily pop our head out and say, hey, what do, what do other people have to say about this? Like, I want to get curious. And, and it's, I think it feels risky for people because and this is one message I would say. It's like you don't have to – if you're curious and you listen to someone else's perspective, it doesn't mean that they're right and you're wrong. It just means that they have a different way of looking at the world. Yeah. And that's still that can be cool. And your perspective can also be cool. And maybe there's a point in between that one can meet. And that's where the co-creation begins. But I love those two words that you say, curiosity and vulnerability. I think those two are very important when it comes to the art of conversation with anybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And empathy too. Like, you know, we, if we just did those, like a little vulnerability, a little curiosity, a little empathy, put that into our stew, right? It's, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's just, it tastes <laughs> and, so much better and we have such better conversation. And as an Asian in our egg rolls. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and, and since I'm Irish, I'll put it on my mashed potatoes. So yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah. So how has that bad day affected you uh, as a parent and leader? Well, so it's, it's given me great perspective. Obviously, that's easy, and because I now I know that myself, and but just as a family, right, we can overcome anything. Like we were, we were given some pretty, you know, horrific news. Like when I got hit, it threw my wife into a different role, it put my kids in a different role. So I know, and I think all of us as a family know that we can overcome anything, right? And also. I brought that into work. Like everything is figure outable, right? We can figure this out. We can overcome any of our challenges with the right conversation and the right mindset. So certainly the, my last bad day helped me with perspective. I think it, it also helped me with gratitude, right? So something like, I, like I never back then 2001, like a gratitude practice, a meditation practice, like what? Like that was, that sound cr sounded crazy. And I never did any of that stuff, but the accident, my last bad day, did sort of bring me into the world of gratitude, you know, being grateful for what I still could do and what I still had and, and actually even grateful for some of the struggle, right? Because I know the struggle that I have, I know you've, you face it, other people face it, I face it as an entrepreneur, that the struggle is actually making us better and stronger. And so having a gratitude practice, I think it was a big outcome of my last bad day that has not only changed my life, but I think it's changed the lives around of, of the people around me.
Yeah, I think people need to really, I mean, there's been so much proof when it comes to gratitude and also meditation. I mean, scientific proof. And so for those listeners out there where if you're lost, you're not happy, start there. Start with a gratitude journal. Start with meditation. It has changed so many people's lives. What has inspired you to get into executive coaching and and being a speaker? Well, so this comes actually from the ICU, right? So when I was in the ICU, I was there for multiple days and I was all drugged up. I was strapped down. I was really <laughs> agitated. And I was saying a lot of crazy things in the ICU. Like I interviewed my wife for a job and I didn't hire her. I said, you know what? I've been in a very bad accident. I'm going to have to get back to you. And she has forgiven me for that. I, I told her to buy Amazon stock and Amazon stock back on that day was like $15 a share. Oh my God. We never bought it. And I have forgiven her for that. So we, we're even, <laughs> but during the time in the ICU, I kept on repeating this guy's name, David Kolb. And when I came out of the ICU, my wife, Lynn asked me, who's David? And I was like, why are you asking me about this? You know, keep in mind, I was still in horrible pain. I was in traction. And she's like, she had the snowpad of all the things I was saying in the ICU. And I was like, David, like, what the heck? And she goes, you kept on saying his name. You said he was our leader. And it just so happens that David was the first guy I ever knew who was an executive coach. We had hired him six months prior to work with my marketing team and the co-promote we had with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So I knew in that moment that Casid was planted. Like, of all the people I could mumble, all the people I could reference. It was David as, as an executive coach. So I knew that one day I would follow in his footsteps. It was just a matter of when, because I also love developing people, right? So it made a natural fit. So it was 13 years of watering that little seed. And then in yeah. 2014, it was like, it's time for the harvest. Like I knew exactly when I wanted to leave corporate America and I had all the signs. I had the boundaries or borders up and I made a pretty quick decision. And and in 2014, I started Peloton coaching and consulting. You know, it was really born out of my hospital stay. I had it written down, everything that I wanted to do with it, how I wanted to help people. And so uh, it's been a cool journey ever since. Wow. Uh, and both you and I went to the same leadership development school, IPAC. So yeah, it was like it was energy leadership Chip. all the way. You know, I found, I found IPAC as we're talking in my corporate job, they came into my executive committee. And a lot of my executive team members were like, this is a little too uh, crunchy granola, a little too hippy dippy talking about energy. They wanted like hard skills, like how do I delegate better? But in that class, I was like, wow, this really spoke to me. And I was like, that's the program I'm going to go into once I leave. So in a lot of ways, people were asked, well, why'd you stay so long? And I was like, well, I was supposed to stay as long as I did. Had I left earlier, I would never would have found IPAC in the way I found IPAC. Yeah, that's why we we both love it, because it's not just about leadership. It's about how you lead energetically. It comes from the soul, yeah. and it's, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's like the whole mind-body-spirit connection that we tend not to pay enough attention to as leaders, because we, yeah, we think it's a little woo-woo, but... Yeah. I think the data will prove out over the next few years that it's certainly not. No, Einstein has proven energy exists. So Absolutely. So as parents and leaders, I think sometimes we have those difficult conversations. What would you recommend in making them easier? So the first thing I would recommend is setting your intentions, right? 
pausing just for a few moments to think about how do I want this person to feel once I'm done having the conversation with them? I mean, that's step one. A lot of times we go into our conversations with more of a me focus. Like this is all about me and what I have to tell this person because how I see things is right. And they don't see the things like they should. So I have to tell them. It's kind of like goal setting. You have an it's goal setting. Yeah. yeah. So, but really setting our intention, like how do we want the person to feel? We know this through our work that thoughts, you know, drive emotions that drive our actions. So how do we want that vibe to be, right? The second step is, well, how do I help them or how do I set the stage so they can hear the conversation with as an open heart and mind as possible? And the next step is like, how can I have good empathetic exchange, right? So those three things, just like my intention, how can I help them hear the conversation as openly as possible? And how can there be great empathy, understanding and clarity? And just spending a few minutes there before we get into it can make all the difference in the world. This is how successful conversation is held and you get results from it. It might seem uncomfortable and weird at first because we're not in a habit of doing it. But I think once you start and you keep doing it, it will be just as natural as you do it now, which is not effective. Absolutely. So it's like anything, right? At first, if we learn how to skate, learn how to ride a bike, uh, learn to ha- how to have a difficult conversation, it all feels a little choppy and wonky and difficult at first. But the more we do it, the easier it becomes. I love Brene's I think this is a Brene Brown quote. Sorry, we, we learn how to swim by swimming and we learn courage by couraging, right? So we learn how to be more courageous by doing courageous acts more frequently. And then all of a sudden we become like this beast of courage. And I think we can become great conversationalists when we decide to have great conversation and do it conversation by conversation. Right. So what action steps can parents and leaders take today to become better conversationalists? I'll go back to what we just talked about. Like before everything that we do, whether it's a difficult conversation or just a conversation at the dinner table is what do we want to set for our intentions? Like for dinner, for example, like how do we want dinner to play out? Like how do we want people to feel after they leave the dinner table and how can we have good dialogue back and forth? So one thing is just to set intentions before every conversation. The second is really start to practice some level of gratitude. Could be in the morning. We did it when our kids were those tweener years, right? Those teenage years where, you know, they'd come home from school and we'd be like, hey, what happened at school today? And they were like, nothing. I go, what you learn? Nothing. School stinks. So then we started sort of building in gratitude at the dinner table. Like, okay, what are you grateful for today? And sometimes our kids, you know, because of adolescence, they were like nothing or they they would give me one thing, like One Direction came out with a new song and we're like, perfect. Let's talk about that. So having some type of gratitude practice during the course of the day, I think is really helpful. Um, I think parents can do that and leaders can do that. The third thing I'll give people is micro moments of meditation. So I know not everyone is going to be a meditator out there. And they're not going to necessarily sit for 10 minutes day after day after day. But we all have little moments. I I have something called uh, PBR, which does not stand for uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. It's actually pause, breathe, and reflect. And these are just one minute of like breathing in, count of four, hold for a count of two, 
exhale for a count of four. And it's perfect as a way to sort of cleanse the palate or cleanse the mind before our next meeting. And like, so when we feel like we're agitated and the energy is right here in our chest or the butterflies are, are in our stomach, just a one minute of PBRing can actually calm everything down. So I would offer every parent those three things as a good way to start. And then they can take that, which they do at home, into their work environment. Absolutely. Tell us what's your current and future projects that you have up that you can share with the listeners. So there's a current project I'm doing actually the first week of April. I'm doing a five-day conversation challenge to help people put a few more tools in their toolbox to be a better conversationalist, not only with themselves, but with others. And I'm also starting a new service. So most of my coaching is one-on-one executive stuff. But I realized that executive coaching is pretty elite. Not every executive gets a coach. And through my career and just through my experience as an entrepreneur, there were so many people at a manager level or director level looking to grow, but they didn't have access to an executive coach. They didn't necessarily have access to an executive mentor, but they were really thirsty about growing. So I'm launching something called the Pace Line. It's another cycling metaphor. Uh, It's a membership site to help people grow on a whole different range of topics from conversation to leadership, all things are sales and marketing related. So it's going to be a nice tight knit community. I share in that uh, wisdom through books, through webinars, and through Q&A. So that's going to be a a fun project going forth in 2018. So uh, I can't wait for that to help that level of the company grow and develop so they can become difference makers. Awesome. We have a couple minutes left. Can you tell us about your book? Yeah. So the book is called Shift Creating Better Tomorrows. And so what I... What I try to do in, in, in the book is give people a real clear understanding of what happened on my last bad day, but also my recovery and the importance of resilience and the, and the importance of community. And in the last chapter, I help people with 20 tips if they want to move from human doer, like I was, to more of a human being. And one of the things that's, I think, important to note with the book is that all the proceeds go to charity. They all go to... A, an organization based in Chicago called World Bicycle Relief. And they help young women, young girls, uh, conquer the challenge of distance by giving them the gift of mobility. So every book we sell helps bring new bikes to their village, like in countries like Kenya, Malawi, and Zaire. So many of them get to a point where they have to drop out of school because the walk is too far. So World Bicycle Relief comes in to their school, gives them a bicycle, and they get to stay in school uh, longer graduate. When they graduate, they have more independence. So I'm like thrilled that like my last bad day has turned into like better days for people halfway across the planet, which yeah, very powerful. we know very from powerful. energy, it eventually cascades back to us. Absolutely. What we project come back to us. So thank you, Michael and listeners. You can follow Michael on Facebook, Lin- LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram is all in the show notes. His phone number is 201-697-6820. His website is michaelobrienshift.com. And also his memoir, all these links are in the show notes. So go there, check Michael out. Uh, He is an amazing, powerful coach and human being. 
Thank you, Jackie. It was awesome to talk with you. I'm I'm still I'm more pumped now than when we started. So Yay, uh, thanks for go. a wonderful conversation. So hopefully, listener, you're all pumped too, because we are all pumped here. Continue to have a great day. And until next time, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.